fifth Sunday of Lent. We continue our, our journey through this season. Maybe this is a familiar story. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's, it's new. Um, it's told in a number of uh, the different Gospels. I think it's uh, in three different accounts of the Gospel. Some version of uh, the woman coming and uh, anointing the feet of Jesus. But let me just start by asking what surprises you in this story? She uses her hair all week, all week. Why the hair? I mean, certainly she had a towel or a cloth or something else that could have been used. Why the hair? What else do you wonder about surprises you? that she was brave enough to act in that culture. You know, we're gonna, because these two things are, are connected. That's, that's a lot of stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, I'll, I'll say commentators were kind of unclear about, you know, pound, ounces, like how should we weigh this? Does that include the weight of the jar? That's kind of besides the point. It's a, it's a lot of stuff. It's a lot of spice ointment. Anything else that surprises, jumps out at you? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot happening in this story. Let me ask you another question. What reasons in scripture uh, do we see people being anointed for? Sickness? Kingship? There's one other time specifically where people are being anointed and maybe they're not, they're not aware of it. Burial, death, yes. Okay, all three of these, I think, are tied into this story. As we look at this passage, as we think about what, what Mary is doing and what's going on in this scene, uh, I hope this, this scripture is kind of sinking in, is covering, is, is being poured out into your own life and you're thinking about this. But as we come to this text together, would you pray with me? Jesus, we're trying to soak in, sink in to this text and what it means, the challenge that it is for us, um, the heart of Mary and the heart of what uh, discipleship means. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, a little bit of the scene needs to be set and explained for us to kind of start to uh, wrestle with this story. 
In chapter 11 of John, uh, this is where we see Jesus come, and it's the the raising of Lazarus, right? Uh, Lazarus, Mary, Martha are dear friends of Jesus. Jesus is informed that Lazarus is sick, but Jesus intentionally waits to come and to be present at the scene, and when he shows up, Lazarus has been dead for several days, and uh, he, he brings Lazarus, he calls him back, to life. Actually, uh, John gives a, a spoiler in chapter 11 when he's introducing Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. In John 11:2, 2, he says, Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his, uh, wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill. And so uh, John, uh, this is before spoiler alerts are a thing, um, but John is telling you what's going to be happening. Uh, What's interesting to me is that John is really assuming that this is a widespread, well-known story. And so when he's introducing Mary, it's like he, he assumes that you are going to know that this is that Mary. All right, you've heard this story before, you you've whether that's in an oral uh, telling of the story, uh, telling the, the life of Jesus, this story has been communicated and has been passed down. And so John assumes that his readers, his listeners, his audience knows what's happening. The raising of Lazarus became the last straw for the chief priests and the Pharisees. When, when Lazarus is called out, this is, this is the end. We can't have people walking around raising people to life. That, that just kind of sets the whole order of things off. And so it's uh, in, in a, as a result of that story that the chief priests and Pharisees get together and they resolve to have Jesus executed. Jesus, and coincidentally, Lazarus, must die. And so throughout this story, we're told then that that Jesus does not walk openly among the Jews. He kind of uh, is moving in quiet, in secret, because these people are out to get him. Um, And, you know, Lazarus can't just, they can't leave him well enough alone. He must die. So Jesus is a dead man walking. And the hour approaches all throughout John. We're we're hearing about the hour, the the hour, the time. It's John's way of talking about the appointed time and the appointed mission of Jesus. And as Jesus comes once again to the home of Lazarus, Martha, and Mary here in this story. Uh, John's version, and this is also told in Mark and Luke, but John's version of the story comes before the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. What we see here is Mary bringing this perfume. Remember, this story follows almost immediately on the heels of Jesus raising Mary's brother Lazarus. In fact, John makes a special note about Lazarus' presence at the meal with Jesus. In Mary's response, we see the signs of real, authentic, passionate discipleship. Mary enters into this dinner with this bottle of perfume. We're told it's nard. Uh, It's an ointment or a perfume made in the Himalayas, often sealed in an alabaster jar. We're told it could have been sold for 300 denarii, 
Uh, Judas has checked the prices on Amazon and eBay. He wants you to know exactly what it's worth. And it's not cheap. Uh, a, denar- a denarius was about the equivalent of one day's wages for a fully employed male. And so 300 denarii is about a year's wages. You translate that into uh, today's totals. It was interesting reading um, commentaries that really aren't that old, but what a year's wage was, you know, 10 years ago is very different than what we classify a year's wage now. So what? Something like $50,000? I don't know that you can go buy a perfume that costs that much today. Perhaps more complicated by supply chain issues, even in their day. It was a perfume reserved for extremely special occasions. Some scholars suggest that this may have been a family heirloom, something so precious that had been passed on because it's just so valuable. It communicates great worth. Somebody has spent a lot of hard-earned money to purchase this. Martha, Lazarus, and Mary seem to have been people of some means. They were patrons of Jesus' ministry. They, they supported him. They took in uh, Jesus and the disciples, often feeding them. And I imagine feeding Jesus and 12 disciples was not a, a cheap expense. So there are some people of some means. They have their own family grave. We've just seen that in the previous chapter. And they're keeping a $50,000 bottle of perfume on the shelf for a rainy day. So what does Mary do? There's a lot of scandalous extravagance happening in this scene. Mary comes and breaks the bottle and anoints Jesus' feet. And she wipes Jesus' feet with her hair. I've been wrestling with that all week. Casey, I'm right with you. Why her hair? Only a husband was supposed to see a woman's hair in the culture. Why her hair? Why not a towel? Wouldn't the towel have been enough? But Mary is going all in on her devotion to Jesus. The perfume, her status, her reputation, all of who she is is being poured out at the feet of Jesus. Everything. Mary is going all in on her devotion. There's nothing so valuable to her that she's not willing to surrender. I presume Mary had some idea of the worth of the perfume. She knew what was in that bottle. She knew its worth. I imagine when Judah says, you know what that's worth, I imagine Mary knew exactly what it was worth. It's interesting to me that she didn't use it on her own brother. When he died, she hadn't broken uh, the bottle to, to anoint his body. She saved it. And yet she comes and breaks the bottle and she anoints the feet of Jesus here. She has presumably counted the cost 
And in case anyone else needed to know, Judas is more than willing to do the math and to make suggestions for what should have been done with that perfume. Her pride, reputation laid out before the king. She anoints the chosen one, the Messiah, the Christ. The next day, Jesus will enter Jerusalem as the coming king. And so she is anointing the king. He is the one to enter the city. And through his death and through his resurrection, ascend, conquer death. He is the king. Jesus makes it clear that she is also anointing for his own burial. It's unclear whether Mary knows all of this. But given her nearness to death with her brother, given John's information that the raising of Lazarus has caused the chief priests and Pharisees to sign the death warrants for Jesus and Lazarus, it stands, to, at least to my reason, that, that Mary still senses the stench of death in the air and is starting to grasp where Jesus' own story is headed. It's like the slowly they're becoming aware that as Jesus moves back to Jerusalem, this is a one-way trip. This isn't like other trips to Jerusalem at Passover. Something different is happening at this one. And it seems as though Mary is starting to grasp that this trip is going to mean the death of her Savior, the death of a dear friend, the death of one that she loves so much. Gail O'Day is, is one commentator, and she says that through Mary's act, the stench of death that once lingered over this household has been replaced by the fragrance of love and devotion. But the hour is coming for Jesus. His time, his mission, it's at its fullness. Mary's washing of Jesus' feet prefigures or looks forward to Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Shortly, Jesus is going to be kneeling and washing their feet with a towel. But I wonder if maybe he picked up on the idea from Mary. I wonder if in her washing he recognizes uh, a love and a devotion and, and a, a service. Mary's actions of pure devotion are contrasted by Judas's example here. We start to see Judas's movement away from Jesus, which will find its fruition in his betrayal. But here, he's, he's clearly starting to move away. John wants us to know that nothing about his protest, nothing about his statement, it comes from a genuine place of discipleship. He's not genuinely cared about uh, helping the poor. We see Judas's feigned piety he asks, what about the poor? This could have been sold. I checked the value. What a waste. Judas states a concern that Jesus has otherwise advocated for in caring for the poor. 
John wants the reader to know that Judas's complaint is not out of a legitimate concern for the poor. He has ulterior motives. And nor is Jesus' reply a general teaching on his attitude towards the poor. This is not, oh well, about the poor. They'll always be around, so do what you can do. This isn't about that. The point of the story is extravagant devotion of a disciple. Jesus' teaching on caring for the poor and the marginalized and the disenfranchised can be found elsewhere in the gospel. This story is not about that. This is about the devotion of a disciple. This is about Mary pouring out everything of who she is, of what she has, of her gifts, her talents, her treasures, everything at the feet of Jesus. Jesus is setting aside Judas' judgment on Mary's actions. He knows what is in Mary's heart and what is in Judas' heart. This is about a follower of Jesus who is wrapping her mind around what it really means to follow Jesus. Mary displays the actions of a genuine disciple, complete love and complete devotion. Mary gets it. She seems to understand what is happening. She gives this this lavish gift worthy of a king. She anoints the king before his triumphal entry as king into Jerusalem. She anoints the body of one she knows is headed right smack into the teeth of death. Commentator Emerson Powery puts it like this. For Mary, the cost of the sacrifice was irrelevant. For Judas, symbolic actions should be cost-effective. I think I'm still trying to wrap my mind around this scandalous extravagance. Why the hair? Why this moment? What does it mean? How would others have seen it? But look at Jesus' response. Mary lays it all on the line. Her treasure, she pours out as an act of worship. Generational wealth poured out before the king, wiping the feet of the master with her hair, such closeness and intimacy with Jesus, risking further questions of motives by others. But she knows, and Jesus knows, what is in her heart. So what would such devotion or commitment look like today? What would a similar scene look like in your own life? What thing is of such great worth to you that it begs to be poured out at the feet of Jesus? What would it look like to have such uninhibited love for Jesus? Elsewhere in the gospel, Jesus is talking about counting the cost of discipleship. What does it cost to follow Jesus? No amount paid can earn it. 
The invitation, we've talked about this in the last couple of weeks, the invitation is open to all regardless of status, wealth, sin, brokenness, or any other words you use to describe who you are or identify you or are used by others to identify you. But also discipleship, following in the way of Jesus, does cost. Here in Mary, we see someone who pours everything out before the Savior. And I don't see a moment's hesitation in Mary. I don't see any signs of regret, second-guessing. She shows up in the middle of this scene, pours her perfume, wipes his feet with her hair. I got to imagine there's tears mixed in with the perfume. Following Jesus or the call of discipleship or apprenticing after Jesus won't look exactly the same as it did for Mary. I don't have a bottle of nard sitting at home. So what do I have to pour out? Do I hold on to status or reputation or financial security or you name your thing that you hold on to? That gives that you feel like gives you worth or and are you willing to pour that out at the feet of the king? I found this text so challenging this week trying to wrap my mind around why her hair and not just a towel, trying to wrap my mind around the cultural dynamics of her kneeling before him in an open display of love and devotion, but also the questions of myself. Can I be that kind of committed and devoted to Jesus? Eugene Peterson defined discipleship as a long obedience in the same direction. I don't know where you're at in your journey with Jesus. Last week we talked about the prodigal son who was at one point in in wild living. Or maybe you're the prodigal son at the point where you've reached the bottom and started to turn and started to, to come back just to find the Father running towards you with open arms. Or maybe you've been the older son, following the rules, doing all the things, but in the meantime, kind of turning away, and yet the Father leaning towards you, pleading with you to come back. Whether you're a Mary who has poured out her status, reputation, and wealth before the king, or you're holding on to the jar of perfume, unsure of whether you're able to part with the symbol. What I can offer you are some simple next steps, some simple concrete actions to begin to live out this long obedience in the direction of Jesus. And I'll do a little better, I'll give you a week to think about it. At Spring Creek, we practice something we call love feast. Uh, The ancient church called it the agape meal. 
It got them in trouble with the, the, the Roman authorities who misunderstood what was happening, didn't understand what was going on by these brothers and sisters meeting for love feast, receiving the body and blood of Christ. But next Sunday morning at our regular service time, 1030, we'll be in the fellowship hall and the, the chapel area downstairs. We'll be gathering around small groups of tables with friends and family. We'll get up from the tables and we'll go to stations and wash one another's feet or hands. We'll come back to the tables and share a simple meal of soup and grapes. And those who have committed themselves to the way of Jesus, who have declared Jesus as Lord, are also invited to break bread and drink a cup and remember again the broken body and poured out blood of Jesus. And so while Mary poured out perfume and Jesus poured out his blood, so I invite you to join us if you're not sure about the whole thing, this sounds a little strange to you, that's all right. I invite you to come all the same. There's lots of folks that would love to have you sit with them and uh, help you understand a little bit more about what this means, about why we do this, about how this draws us closer into the life of Jesus and draws us closer to one another. It's about being poured out. Mary pours her perfume and all that comes with it. Other followers of Jesus have poured out occupations, safety, security. And so my question to us this morning, the one I hope lingers as the perfume, the smell of the perfume lingered in the air. I hope the question lingers, what will I pour out? What will you pour out to the one who poured out his own life in order that we may be restored, healed, and saved? I invite that question to linger with you as we join together in singing our hymn of response, Take My Life. You can find it in the blue hymnal. It's number 389, and we'll be singing verses 1, 2, 5, and 6. And the words will be on the screen as well. Would you stand as we sing?